0: So you think you're gonna go somewhere with this this music, huh? <laughs> oh man, no, I don't. This is a podcast, Grandpa. <laughs> and you always you always call my podcasting rock band. It's <laughs> not rock band. I- I'm excited. We're in we're in it, boys. I'm so excited. We're in it. Hey, welcome to batman in quarantine episode 37 i just proactively looked at the dock to make sure i was right and i'm 75 percent sure that's correct i've looked at the dock and done it wrong before but uh this is your you know three times a week generally issue by issue read through of the epic grant morrison batman run batman batman and robin batman incorporated return of bruce wayne super excited for starting this week, our journey through the alternating issues of Batman and Robin and Return of Bruce Wayne. Today we're doing Batman and Robin number 10. On Wednesday we're going to be doing Return of Bruce Wayne number one. On Friday we'll be back with Batman and Robin number 11. I am incredibly excited to talk about this because I think starting with this issue was where when this book was coming out and I was reading it, it was like oh my God, I cannot wait between issues of coming out because they actually start doling out this really rich mystery. This is where like there has been mysteries like with the black glove and and that whole like RIP stuff. But this is like, hey, we've got like a 12 issue puzzle that you're gonna slowly work through. And I absolutely loved that. So uh, you guessed it, I'm Jeff because I talk too much. I'm Silas Wayne i'm mordecai
1: oh mordecai oh, wayne you That's are
0: mordecai you. very appropriate okay 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 well, let's already wait a second is silas wayne one of the <laughs> the wayne people in a picture or is that just the the flagellation reference
1: uh god it's not that i wish that it was i thought that there was a silas wayne
0: because i sent you a gif of uh silas from Division Oh, Code okay today. There, is, there is a silas wayne and I wanted to ask you, Jeff. Oh, there he is. Yeah, he's looking a little creepy, too. Yeah, see, he, he might be the, the dirty one. Oh, yeah, the, he does look awful, pretty mean. Yeah, <laughs> damn it. Um, it's tricky because I don't feel like anyone. Okay, so anyone who doesn't know what's going on is confused by this conversation, <laughs> but it's confusing to it's me because. It's the Da Vinci I, Code again. It's the Da Vinci Code! We're here yeah. to talk about the Da Vinci Code.
1: <laughs> Jeff, I, don't I heard that. you reference that Silas scene, like more than anyone else has in my life, like that had an impact on you. You saw that in theaters and it made you what, feel... What is that even your honor. from? It's from The Da Vinci
0: Code by Dan Brown. I read oh, it most okay. of that book and really liked it. And it was like in junior high, or it was, like maybe freshman in high school, and it was just one of those things where I was like, I don't think I'm gonna like this. Everyone loves it. And I started reading, I was like, Oh, this is awesome. And then the movie came out, and yeah, there's just a real powerful scene of an albino dude who's just got a real penchant for punishing himself. I think that it was maybe the first time I had visually seen like self-flagellation, which for sure it was my first time. Was like the physical. <laughs> you know manifestation of a thing that i mentally do to myself <laughs> all the time so i think that it's like oh this is what i would be doing if i was doing it physically instead of just saying horrible things to myself when no one's around
1: no if you were born in the 15th century jeff you'd be real good at the physical whipping of the back
0: yeah yeah i'd be working yet, at a monastery oh thank you <laughs> everyone everyone looks good in a friar outfit you know <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: and that little silas wayne bull cut there yeah you <laughs> the can you know, friar tuck cut
1: it's kind of like gray sweatpants like in a fryer outfit you can just you can see the shape
0: you can look good yeah yeah you can see that thing okay well listen hey okay. before we before we bust our you know silas wayne mystery nut everywhere let's get through <laughs> what happens here uh this issue starts with damian wayne power playing in the wayne industry at least he's got lucius fox's back or back, lucius has his back he's like i know this is weird board crew but i've got a 10-year-old making power plays here. (laughs) Um, Then we go to a scene of Dick Grayson as Batman, talking to Oberyn Sexton, awesome scene. We get more probably spoken words from Oberyn Sexton in that scene than we had at all. And then we get to the real meat of this Oreo. This ham cream Oreo, (laughs) which is the birth of a mystery inside Wayne Manor that is all of my favorite things. It's messages from the past. It's altering the present through the past. It's hidden rooms. It's secrets. It's family lineage. It's Satanism. I love all of those things. And then we get uh, over in Sexton, gets a phone call from El Penitente. Sounds like he's in trouble. Got a. El <laughs>
1: Penitente. He he he's bad
0: boy. Pissed off the old penitent one, and he's got to bail out of his room because he didn't kill Batman when he had the chance. And then we get to a pretty fantastic scene of Dick and Damien walking around the house, finding some secret rooms, some secret roses, flashback <laughs> Damien and Talia. So something's going on with Damien's body there. That's a weird thing. Uh-oh. Puberty. Hidden, hidden bat cave that says Barbados on it. What was that about? And then Damien wakes up, well, not wakes up, he kind of comes to his senses crying next to the grave of Alan Wayne being comforted, comforted by Oberon Sexton. And then we get a really great hey, next time on Batman and Robin, with a big old bloody W in a guy's back flagellate (laughs) flagellate me
1: baby I just gotta say this three issue arc Batman vs. Robin is my favorite three issues of Batman in this run and since this is my favorite Batman run this might be my favorite like vacuum sealed Batman story of all time I really like the next three because like duh you know it's kind of a super climax Climax, this, this does so much for the Batman mythology that, you know, no one has quite ever touched yet, but this is, like, just, like, a goldmine of awesome, dark, gothic, gothic Batman mythics. God. It's so goddamn Goddamn. <laughs> it's so good. And I love Andy Clark.
0: I was just going to say, yeah, it's it, – so this is obviously written by Morrison, but this is the first issue with Andy Clark doing the art in it. And really, really – Uh, What is the word? Effective, concise, uh, efficient, very good cartooning, very proficient, like just consummate was the word I was trying to think of. Consummate comic booking right here. The art Mm -hmm. all looks good. I really like whatever sort of line effect he does. Like instead of doing cross hatching from back in the days, he just does a whole bunch of sort of like horizontal lines that are parallel to each other around arms and faces and facial expressions it's and a really uses prevalent it like thing.
1: shadow work as well like yeah it, it contrasts light when he has those lines and i don't know if i've ever seen it someone do it quite like he do it and i like yeah. it
2: yeah i'm i'm a yeah. big fan yeah i didn't have a chance to uh, google him is he still doing comics i haven't seen his work in forever
0: yeah maybe yeah, only I in this. i think maybe only in this for me as well so yeah maybe, maybe me too I, speaking of the art i was wondering I'm um, going to ask you guys. Yes, I before... do think that blonde guy outside of the building is Barry Allen.
2: <laughs> yeah, I thought that too. Um, before, Right before we get to the title page, as Batman uh, swings off from talking to Oberon, you turn the page and there's on the title page and there's these these all on the left, there's these pink snowflakes, pieces oh, of glass. Yeah. What, what are those? Are those like a visual transition from oberon's glasses what is that i thought Those cherry really, blossoms yeah
1: cherry blossoms i think it's spring oh. in this year without bruce i think it's now um
2: we are getting that's a really tall fucking cherry blossom tree then <laughs> it's the wind
1: roman the wind oh. is wisping them around uh, I, think I think it's a,
2: i think it's part of the mystery i don't see any trees anywhere and there's the place. rose
1: stuff going on that's and true I think Oh. We're seeing the beginning of Batman being reborn, the new spring, the new era, the new dawn, baby. I think I think oh, we're wow. doing, we're dealing with some uh, seasonal visual motifs.
0: Roman, I'm I'm going um, to need you to put your okay. motif sailor cap yeah. on for this, okay? <laughs> All right, yeah, I can't yeah. find me cap. <laughs> <laughs> the motif master. Um, so we in the in the boardroom here, we basically got Damien saying that, hey, you guys are going to have to deal with me. I'm not sure if he just gets, you know, you get to be the in charge of the company because you're a 10-year-old <laughs> and your dad's MIA or whatever. But with Lucius Fox's support, I guess he's got some merit for being there. But I think it's really interesting that he's, in talking about, like, financial irregularities that he t- decided to investigate, the, the main thing he wanted to look at was charitable causes, which is such a Damien thing, but what they find out is that there's been a bunch of uh money going to a Thomas Wayne Foundation for railroad accidents. Yeah, yeah, there's I was wondering how that ties in. get like, well, I guess it doesn't
2: tie in directly probably, but there's gotta be something more insane about trains and the Mexican train that Oldamont right. or El Pentatente keeps talking about. Um there's something Morrison has a thing with trains, and they represent something. I can't remember what it was because Cody Did Walker you, told me, and I forgot. Cody
0: Walker <laughs> told me as well. And I thought, Cody Walker, you, I get it. We all need to have a motif hat on. You are finding this is like your, you know, Red Right Hand, whatever that band was. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Reference to, um, but yeah, he does reference, you know, like the the train and Invisibles. <laughs>
1: A and, reference oh, right. to my train set when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, And It's not the usual Freudian train symbolism. Yes,
0: the phallic. <laughs> yeah. um, I, so, so established in the name of Thomas Wayne. So probably Wheezy. Probably Wheezy. Though, <laughs> so, but I we find out that there is another Thomas Wayne. That it's the secret Satanist, not talked about Thomas Wayne. Add Thomas Wayne. Cody Walker. Insinuates or implies or says in the Cody Walker fashion of the, uh, you know, the anatomy of Zurin R, understanding Grant Morrison's Batman book that we've been sort of checking into and then laughing at.
1: Just because, or worshiping.
0: Yeah, or worshiping. You know, we don't take ourselves seriously. So uh, Cody's ability to take himself seriously, I think, <laughs> um, impresses us and makes us laugh a little bit. But he says that, or he seems to think pretty certainly that that means that that money is being funneled to the, like, to, Dr. Hurt and the Mexican train, and that seems pretty logical to me, although I'm not sure if that is like something we learn later on, or if it's a thing that is is pretty clearly here. It didn't occur to me until I read that.
1: That's my read on it is that's like, because Thomas Wayne, El Penitente slash Dr. Hurt was like, kind of just seeding all in Batman R.I.P. He was like getting up in the Wayne legacy and doing all his like nasty shit. I think he has this thing that's like where it's a dump for all of his projects that he's funneling the Wayne family money to pay for like, you know, I need to go to work this strange Mexican house and whip myself for six months. Like, right. That's how he... So I think that's maybe something that Grant Morrison didn't fully like explain, but I think that that's how he's funding all of his stuff and how he's trying to like take over the Thomas Wayne empire,
0: you know, the Wayne
1: and you know, I feel like you know in Batman begins Thomas Wayne wanted to make a railroad
0: yeah 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 yeah
1: I wonder if that's pulled from a comic like maybe the actual like Gotham railroad thing because there's I wonder if that's a legacy in the comics as well yeah that's a good point because stuff in this as well
0: yeah and like in that movie it does talk about how like the building of that somehow elevated Gotham like there you know like the building of that railway had some sort of transformative effect on the town as a whole well it was i guess it was a monorail or sky yeah yeah
1: Yeah. i I guess that's it's it's a train so i gotta yeah (laughs) i thought like you know it's free transportation for everybody so that would definitely like lift up and elevate the city um in a way but yeah i don't know cody walker will have will have to refer to his train set because yeah i'm a little bit lost on the train metaphor though i like
0: it yeah and and um, I, Maybe it was Cody Walker who was sort of saying that Oberon Sexton sort of tipped over the dominoes, like started the dominoes falling by pointing out because, oh, yeah, the dominoes falling, like ultimately Dick Grayson wouldn't have been involved in this if he hadn't caught Toad that would sort of make him know about the flamingo which Uh-oh. then ha- is you know like or it created jason todd being a thing because it wasn't good enough then the, the flamingo came in doing a thing which caused him to feel bad about dick not your bruce not being we trying to raise bruce like there was this string of events that was maybe illustrated in this one or maybe it was at a website that i was reading but it's sort of train
1: is a domino game right
0: it is and yeah. it, andrew sent me a fantastic write-up of the rules of it <laughs> um, as, a, as a way of trying to make that and metaphor more awesome. salient to us. So I'm going to read that on here at some point, maybe maybe once the Mexican train uh, thing comes to a little bit more of a climax, just so everyone understands it. But yeah, there was a, sort of a salient mo- moving of things that happened after that initial uh, Oberon Sexton being involved with helping find the first domino.
1: Okay. Well, I'll, uh, I wanted to ask you guys this question, because I'm just like so in to kind of the surface level mystery shit do we think that like so i think it was a little more apparent that there was some internal invisible clockwork in rip that like it was he was grant morrison did a very good job of implying more and getting mm-hmm. you in on it mm-hmm. like he didn't tell you as much but like he there was a lot of foreshadowing and we knew it was on the table like we need to look further into stuff and it's and we kind of said that this arc doesn't do that as much. It's more just like linear one level. And I'm starting to think like, maybe I'm just lost. There is a whole like the Mexican train, this this whole new era of crime, the El Penadente stuff. I think there is another layer of storytelling going on that I'm just like so into the like emotional Dick Grayson Damien stuff that I've missed the connective tissue of kind of the whole ober and sexton thing um, i
0: think that it particularly starts around here i do think okay. those like first couple ones are these three mini arcs that have like a really kind of definitive beginning and end but that i i do think yeah there is like an undercurrent of the mexican train and the domino killer and the way that those are all connected that i certainly didn't get originally and i'm getting more now but only in increasing amounts in these most recent issues and i think that that will probably happen more the next like six episodes that we have you know i haven't read the next issues yet but i like even in this one i'm like oh i see how there is a connection like yeah you know we've talked about how like the domino thing was a mystery that i didn't fully understand my original read-throughs of it not knowing about dominoes and stuff and uh and andrew you know we need to get andrew on just to uh, explain that to everybody because he's also one of the best people in the world, but. Um, in this conversation between Dick and Oberon, I really like just how much words they share. We get, really get more Oberyn here than we've gotten at any point so far. And what he's doing is explaining that he's been hunting down, ultimately, the club, like the Black Glove. And he refers to it as the Black Glove eventually in this conversation. But he really just points it out as a club of rich people who do crazy murderous things together and he has a strong suspicion that this killer who's killing these people from this black glove he thinks that that killer is going to be going after bruce wayne because bruce wayne is a rich person who seems like he would be part of this club of people who would be you know murdering people because he's a rich playboy guy and i like that bit of like confusion that oberon has like he doesn't know that bruce wayne is batman Here, you know, he says that. And so he's got this uncertainty about Bruce Wayne possibly being part of the Black Glove. But I do like this other detective coming into this Black Glove mystery and checking it all out. And I particularly liked the line where he says, uh, Bruce Wayne, Wayne, who rather famously dated the missing presumed dead supermodel Jezebel Jezebel Jet. And I just like that like now Jezebel Jets just presumed dead like we don't know what happened to her and uh I don't remember if she comes back at all ever but that's um that's brutal you know like yeah that's that's another scar in the psyche of Batman for sure I uh
1: yeah I'll try to navigate what I'm about to say without spoiling too much but if we look at the people on the board it is the members we saw bidding with the black hat
0: hand yeah, at, at the funeral for like when he escapes the the grave even though right. it's like the yeah
1: so this this domino killer is targeting the black hand mm-hmm. um i really like kind of how anti-rich this is like there's almost like a borderline class of analysis going on here because it makes me
0: think about epstein and stuff right now like all these rich horrible people doing these rich horrible things and it's
1: right you know rich people can't be moral yeah
0: unless you you
1: know you're bruce which is you know this kind of fictional thing but and grave diggers back in the day were the lowest members of society they would you know literally dig graves for money and so this guy is like ober and sexton is modeling himself as this detective going after the A killer of the rich but he's like the lowest class you know he's literally digging the graves for these people yeah Um, so it is
0: like a class warfare like the common man taking out the the aristocrats i love his line of they can bury the truth as deeply as they like batman but good men will always find shovels to dig with and it's just like oh god i love this grave digger character
1: yeah i got the shills reading it on the deck yesterday because were, and this is like not related, I know Morrison's not doing this, but the final line of the Communist Manifesto is capitalism always creates its own grave diggers. Like the rich will always live in such excess that they'll breed revolutions. Like we'll always have, the good people will always eventually have to stand up against the people who expose and abuse the system. And in that way, I was like, well, that's kind of what Oberon is doing. Like he's trying to, under the guise that, what he's saying he's doing is like trying to stop whatever thing he thinks is happened like this like you're killing off these high members of society that are rich and evil but what effect does that have on society you know like killing bruce wayne would ruin gotham at this point right and so yeah there's just there's there is some kind of poking at the rich and the corruption in gotham in a, in a deeper way that i think is deserves being explored more like that Oberon character is. He's a, he's a potent figure. He's a, a pumpkin idea. I love him. Yeah. As long as we're on
2: the subject of his name, what, how do you, and his first name Oberon, what do you think of, uh, the meanings in there? Cause you know, the fairy king, the fairy king from, um,
1: Midsummer Night's Dream. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's like, that is, it's to go kind of magically. There's the reference to the the Solomonic demons in here and demonology, yep. like those classic things. And when those, the Key of Solomon and stuff was exposed to like the, to England and during Shakespearean times, oftentimes you find grimoire starting to be in texts of demonology, incorporating fairies and spirits. And Oberon was the king of those spirits. And often fairies in English lore are thought to rule the dead as well. They're like a type hmm. of dead. Um, And so there's this whole thing about grave diggers Oberon being the fairy king, but also the king of dead human souls like the lost souls of humans um, go to fairyland and old like British pre colonized mythology. So there's something here about Oberon also kind of ruling the souls of the dead and he's like digging graves for people you know that's like part of his plan too is he's very specifically digging one grave
0: i would just love for like a morrison (laughs) interview to just have somebody be like hey can you talk to us about the night where that metaphor became clear in your mind that you were going to write this character like because it's so packed with so much stuff. I bet he was like, oh, yeah, and it's, you know, it's connected to this. Oh, but he's, oh, he should be a grave digger because of this. And, this. like, just, like, creating the character and then just building metaphor on metaphor and layer, because, you know, I right. I think that that's a thing that he and Hickman both do a lot, which is really, like, kind of create an idea and then just make an onion out of it and wrap more layers of metaphor around it and let metaphors really guide the story.
1: Right. At and, some point, it starts to do it itself. Yeah. And that's what this character like. He feels slightly hyperreal. Like, like he he's he's someone that has got so many layers that it's like he he's that perfect idea like Batman. Because there's all the Hamlet themes, and there's yeah. so much cla- class uprise and killing of kings and Hamlet too. Um, and so yeah, yeah I don't know. I get really excited about this character because you can never <laughs> quite pin the tail on the on the grave digging donkey there. Yeah, there's a lot to him. Yeah,
2: it's so cool. And I love, and just within that conversation, Jeff, you already said um, that line about how, uh, I think this is the first time we find out that, or at least the first time I really noticed that, oh, okay, there's, there's kind of an excuse then, a rumored excuse why Bruce Wayne is, hasn't been seen. And yeah. And it's not that he's presumed dead, which I had assumed that was what he was, did people think he's dead to. No, they just think he's being reclusive because Jezebel Jack got killed. Right. I think
1: I love that it never addresses that in a big overt way throughout. We're like, what, what is this? The 10th, 11th issue of the story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: we're just now addressing in a throwaway conversation, the excuse (laughs) for why Bruce is like, I think that some people would say like, you need to address that. That's bad writing to me. I'm like, no, that's like respectful, good writing that like, no, He's got the excuse in mind. He has the plot device of why Bruce is gone, but he's not going to hit you over the head with it. He's going to let you just like, oh, okay, duh.
0: And in the same way that like we are, as the reader, similar to the audience of Gotham, which is like if he is missing and people don't really know what's going on, they're not necessarily going to lie. They'll probably just withhold information and let people make their own assumption, right? Until, so you know, until they have their own truth or something. So in this situation, you know, people are like, yeah, he's probably, you know, gone into heartbreak hiding or something. But it, it's like, we haven't been told that information in 10 issues. Either. I mean, because we don't really know. Oh, Roman, I see you're putting on your reading gloves. <laughs> I am. Um, guys- oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. please. No. Uh,
1: Jeff, I specifically wanted to ask you this. In um, Roman too, is it kind of, do you guys think that there's like a, a kind of chemistry between Dick and Oberon in a weird way, like, they're kind of like into each other. They're like, Oh, yeah, this guy like they're they're into each other's minds so They get along more than you. You know, you think that Dick Grayson would be pretty suspicious of this. This guy. Yeah, you know, they 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 have Yeah, that's true. Kind have like mutual respect for each other. In a
0: weird way. And I think that Dick probably also has relied on bruce as the primary detective in so many regards i think that he probably does get off in some way on on not sexually get off jeff but um i think he does enjoy this like back and forth of solving a mystery with someone and it's it is a person that you know it's 10 issues since bruce has been gone so we don't know how long it's been and he 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 hasn't had that Yeah.
2: yeah and there may even be i'm 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 theorizing about you know dick's psychology but just because um, Oberon kind Dick of psychology. <laughs> dick's psychology just because uh, Oberon kind right. of just just because of the uh, the suit and the hat the general there's i can't help but wonder if there's like a general kind of like oh he kind of visually reminds me of a ringmaster so i'm going to mm, oh
1: there's right. some trust in I was that say, too <laughs> is he is who Oberon is in this character that he's constructed is he designed to make, to have a familiarity in a draw that Dick Grayson, Hmm. like is he designed to make Dick Grayson like him and feel comfortable around him? Like is this character, this whole being kind of constructed
0: The whole bean. Uh Um, In the next scene when they're walking through the, you know, Wayne Manor in the dark because he's gotten the call from Alfred to come back home because he's found something, he does say, you know, there's something familiar about Oberon Sexton. So I really liked, Mm, and that was one of the most fun things. And What I didn't like about Cody Walker's read on it is like in that conversation where they're talking, Cody says like, it's pretty clear that, you know, Dick knows who Oberon is at this point. And I'm like, I don't think so. And he's like, careful readers will have noticed. And it's like, I remember reading the internet monthly as this stuff came out. There was no one who was certain that they <laughs> knew who that character was, especially not at issue ten. You know, it was like there were some good guesses at twelve or thirteen, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't see anything in that in this issue that indicated that Dick knows who he is. I love that Alfred has had them walking through the the Wayne Manor in the dark, which maybe almost feels a little unnecessary. But he says like he's had the power turned off because they're debugging all of the you know, the, the El Sombrero turning Wayne Manor into a death trap in R.I.P. So that's a nice little connection to that. But it also does a fantastic job of just we've got this very spooky mystery now, but it's all being done in the dark. And I, I really liked that. That takes us to like this several page, these two or three page scene that I have looked back at and consulted more than just about any comic, you know, for the months <laughs> after this came out, which is like, I love that Alfred says, hung in the correct order for the first time in years. The you know the portraits of the Wayne family—they appear to be clues in these pictures. So my question is, okay, why? What order were they hung up in? And why not the the older? Like why not in lineage order? I think. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, and I don't know if they get to that later
2: and talk about that, or if they were just hung up randomly and no one ever cared to put them in chronological order, or what.
0: It, it's convenient that you know rearranging in this way would then give to answers but it's also like well why why wasn't it ever i I don't know that
1: bruce wayne by traveling through time and past is putting the lineages back in like temporal order like he's going through and becoming each one of these people and so i think there's something about maybe these some of these photos weren't available like they didn't have them they took one down like i think there's something about bruce I, i don't quite it's more of a feeling than like, oh, this is the mechanics that do it. But like, I think somehow Bruce is like adjusting the lineage as things go on. And now it's only possible to get them in a chronological order because we have Bruce going
0: through this linear order through time. I think there's a lot of different ways that people tell time travel stories. And they're they're one of my favorite types of stories. I love, you know, time travel. And yeah, this one's sort of, I have time travel theory theory grouped into a couple different ones but this one feels to me like you know if you change something in the past it changes modern day but it doesn't change your whole memory like you could actually physically like watch something you know change like they could be staring at a wall and there wouldn't be anything there and then if bruce in the past created a doorway there then they would like see a door appear so it doesn't cause it's not necessarily like an alternate timeline thing where there's parallel competing timelines it's actually kind of feeds in in my mind as like the the linear singular timeline where you know things are happening simultaneously within one line and not if he not like the harry potter model where hermione goes back in time and it's almost like a separate reality that they're in if that makes sense or if anyone's harry potter head but you know that and that's what this conversation sort of illustrates is that like what if bruce is lost in time and he's leaving us these clues, which is of course what Bruce would do. My one thing that I, you know, we've got the omnibus here. It collects everything that we should need to know. Omnibity and, be. Omnibity be. And, it, you know, he says, I I can't find the thing right here, but, oh, the Justice League thinks he's been displaced in time by something called the Omega Effect. And Tim's convinced he left clues in the past for us to find. I feel like that information should have happened in a morrison written issue like we know that the red robin run the big thing has been tim talking about that but where like that's one bubble the saying the justice league so now the justice league knows something and they think he was displaced in time and then they're introducing the omega effect in here and i bet like i know that there was like the justice league like vanishing point like time master's vanishing point or something was coming out right now where they were like going through time looking for bruce but I wish that this collection included the conversation where the Justice League was realizing or someone was telling the Justice League yeah. that Bruce has gone through time. Because that seems like a pretty important thing to just have mentioned in a singular text bubble here. Yeah, I do kind of wish that, I don't know where you would put
2: it exactly, but th- at least there was like a couple panels or a page reproduced from just that issue of Justice League mentioning that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like, like it, the marketing and the... I feel like we needed another extra issue to explain like this connective tissue that okay Bruce is in time and we there's this adventure going on because There's this going on in here and we're like as readers of in 2009 and 10 reading this book like if you're not re if you're only reading Batman only stuff like I was, you have no idea the other parts of the story, the final crisis fallout stuff. Right. Like I felt like there needed to be a, a more cohesive, like blending of the two in this Batman continuity story. Cause you know, at this point when I was reading this final crisis was too much for me. So mm-hmm. I was, I just kind of resigned to like, Oh, whatever's going on with that. I'll just, I'm not going to get, and, and you could
0: th- oh, no, please continue. Sorry.
1: Oh, I was just going to say you think that there would be a more cohesive like okay we need and I think that's what 701 and 702 right tries to do but you think it would
0: happen earlier and you know what you know I think that you're totally right because 701 and 702 do have that scene where like they're going to talk to Superman and the Justice League and, and some of the information is given there I we talked about it a bit on the final crisis episode but I think if you wanted to you know I have a hard time saying that he's Morrison has like shortcomings, although all people have shortcomings but I think if you wanted to identify one, I think that he overestimates how many books readers are reading. I think one of the final crisis thing is I think he just sort of like tacitly assumed that people would be reading all of the tie-in issues, but in this modern world of like event comics being really common and there being a lot of tie-ins kind of just to make money, I think people kind of pick and choose and I think that that's the right as a reader but I do think that some of the confusion with Final Crisis and maybe even this is that I think he kind of assumes that people are reading or you know getting a lot more comics than maybe just reading the Batman stuff like you and I were at the time. Right
1: I wonder if we're bringing our own event exhausted eyes with us back to this like maybe event fatigue wasn't quite as big as it is now and so more people like the model was designed like, oh, we think that most people read all these books because we're not doing 94 a
0: year. Right. Uh, I think events did function differently back then. I think what's there's so, a, oh, please Roman, yeah.
2: Oh, and, I, and I think there's maybe some assumption on Morrison's part is like, oh, you don't have to necessarily explain that because Dick mentions it here. And then, the, and that'll all be explained for the reader by the end of the return of Bruce Wayne. <laughs> So I think I think there's some assumption on Morrison's part that, well, people just stick with this that you know, you gotta just stick with it for six issues, six, seven or more issues, and it'll all make sense.
0: Right. Um when they hang up all the pictures, I think a really important part is that, yeah, several of these dudes look a lot like Bruce Wayne, uh, which is, (laughs) you know, an important clue of these, you know, the the different Wayne's. But there's the one missing one and he says, Why is the space empty? and he's Alfred says not all Waynes were philanthropists and this is the only known existence of Thomas Wayne the black sheep of the family so there was an older Thomas Wayne than Bruce's father Thomas Wayne back in the 1760s with a rather distinguished sect of devil worshippers they summoned an ancient bat demon of the Miyagani tribe they did these bloody bargains that's like (laughs) a lot of really important information <laughs> to just, like, oh, yeah, well, this this happened, you know? Like, yeah,
1: why is Master Planner Bruce not trying to address, like, I wonder if this has something, this guy says he's the devil, All these yeah. three batmen are ushering this new biblical thing. I wonder if this has anything to do with my, like, past of bat-worshipping, you know, yeah. maybe this information... Could only exist in this timeline now that Bruce has been sent back. So, like Alfred in oh, the past, yeah. doesn't know it.
0: But yeah, Alfred maybe did. Alfred didn't know this a week ago because it didn't exist in this timeline a week ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I want to um, know where Thomas's original Thomas's portrait is. Because, you
2: know, even if you got a bat- black sheep of the family, my completest sense is like, you know, that portrait should be there. So, what if he was the bad guy? I can't
0: remember <laughs> if it does come back up or not because, yeah, yeah it sure might. It does. Barbados is wow. is what well so yeah i guess i'll get to that in just a second so they um are you know looking at these things solving some mysteries about like well he's looking this way when we align them this way so like bruce kind of we can assume that like bruce it back in time because we know he's back in time at this point knows how the wayne manor looks so he's arranging himself and his eye line and holding items to know how that'll look on the hallway in the Wayne Manor in the present day so they're following these clues one thing I it is I know it's like (laughs) such a turn on for me one thing that I, I do love here is Alfie you're on intelligence duty use the Batmobile to access the Batcomputer it'll be way too cold in the cave mechanically probably there was a reason to not have Alfred in the cave and you know but it's that Dick thing of like, it's going to be way too cold down there because the power's off. You should go somewhere warm. You know, like Bruce would be like, get down to that computer, make yourself miserable (laughs) to find some answers because I've been miserable my whole life. Well, I (laughs) just take a cup of tea. You'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just, I liked that little bit of, you know, Dick's a nice guy. He is.
1: (laughs) I don't think that Bruce doesn't care, but he's so obsessed with plans that he can't like let go where, Dick Grayson doesn't do plans. He's in the moment. And so he's able to, he's got a little more cognitive space to actually like, hey, how are you doing? And I don't know. That's an important, that's what yeah. I want out of a Batman. Yeah. yeah um, I, I just want to touch back on, Jeff, you said you're a time travel head and I'm sure Roman is someone who's actually literally time traveled before. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I really like time travel. I really like it a lot. I spent, used to spend a lot of time thinking about like, how to do time travel in a different way, because it has, I think it's kind of the best type of story if done right, but it's Mm -hmm. been used so much that Mm -hmm. I've never seen, you know, I think that time travel often is on this like Newtonian physics, that time is this linear thing that goes here. And if you affect this, the domino effect plays out. And since Bruce is this like master planner, this is almost like a new, like a quantum take there's like, present and past are communicating rather than just past creating present. Yeah. Like there's this nonlinear feedback loop and I've never seen that done before in time. Like this was like a huge, Whoa, Batman doing time travel, but it was also like, Whoa, I've never seen time travel work in a kind of communicative simultaneous way. Like Bruce is engineering events to happen through time based off of the domino effect. Right. So his colleagues can help him do stuff in the past. Like, I've never seen a it's two time travel stories talking to each other rather than mm-hmm. just one linear one um and like my head is still like fucked by that i still have like the galaxy brain from from the story because it's just really cool to
0: have i um, i totally agree there's a movie called frequency that has like a, i believe like a young jake gyllenhaal in it and like dennis quaid and it's like a dude who for some reason is able to like use a phone call to talk to his dead dad who like died when he was a child and he's talking to him in the past and they do things like this, like he'll put things somewhere and then like the guy will find it in the future. And um I saw that movie when I was a little kid, but I just like loved it. These, those concepts are, I love them. My, my dad, I used to just talk to my dad. I remember being like six and driving up in the hardware store with my dad and him talking to me about back to the future before, I had seen it and trying to explain some of these concepts to me, and that's I was awesome. like, "What?" And he was like, "Yeah, he goes back in time, and his mom like hits on him." And I'm like, "What? <laughs> like, what would happen?" um And that's even like kind of Back to the Future re like, right? Like the longer he spends in the past, the f- picture that he has of his siblings start fading. You know, like I love it that you know that that I've you know before I had you know when I had like an anxiety attack and I was just doing way too much head stuff for a long time but one of the things that I was always thinking was trying to like draw maps of how to time travel like how how to like metaphorically you know like not realistically be like I'm gonna build a machine but just sort of like I spent a lot of energy trying to think about you know I think that you could like there's got to be a relationship between past and present and future that is larger than we know so if it's larger than we know, let's spend a lot of time trying to think about what that is. And um, yeah, I love it. I've spent a little bit a little bit too much time in that well, in fact, at times, because uh, sure. you can get lost. But I, it's uh... one of the best, I totally agree with you wholeheartedly. I think it's one of the best types of fictional stories when it's done well, but I think it's not done well a lot.
1: And like people get so into the shock value because it's an inherently kind of a cerebral heady thing. So you can go, whoa, really yeah. easy and people get more caught up with the woe factor than like how profound it can be as well, like how deeply kind of emotional it can be. Um, and so, yeah, you see it kind of abused a lot in modern fiction, you know, like let's just make this a time travel story to get people to go, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Rather than like, let's tell an emotional powerful story. And this is, you know, it's ancestors, it's lineage, it's all the things that make Batman Batman and seeding those things through the past. So it's more than just a bat crashing through a window. You know it's like it's he time created bat time time, time create, created batman and like he can only be batman because of the events that happen in this and it rewrites and expands this bat bat mythos is like yeah something kind of biblical you know and i i love it
0: the the Oberon Sexton, just to get this one out, so we can get to the real good part. Oberon Sexton gets a call from the Penitent One, who's saying, "Listen, you should have killed Batman when you had the chance, or whatever, whatever. Uh, you rejected being helped by us, so he sends a crew—the ninety-nine demons, I believe they're called—ninety-nine fiends. Ninety-nine fiends to go take out Oberon, and. But we should point out there's only four fiends here. Not it's ninety-nine. Crew, <laughs> which means there's ninety-five somewhere else but I love it shows Oberon says, "Oh yes, I hear what you're saying. I have exceptional hearing and he hears the fiends and he dips out of the hotel and he gets out and goes MIA. But then we go to the old Wayne Wayne Manor Library. And I loved So one thing it's like Justin mentioned when we were trying to do some scheduling like how big this issue feels and how sort of packed it is and and I agree, not only are we getting like a lot of just sort of black background moving the plot forward but we're also getting um some very cool time travel mystery and then we just get like a lot of really good character work from damien here i think we see more personal growth and vulnerability which i think is the pro- the byproduct of personal growth in this issue than we've seen so far at all and i think it's so charming just as evident in lines like if my father returns like we can't be batman and robin anymore And I love his concern about, like, that's just him saying, like, I'm having a very good time doing all of this. We get a flashback scene to him talking to Talia, and she says, like, you know, your father's gone, and his former boy wonder is barely fit to wear his mentor's mantle. And he just, like, cuts her off says, you're wrong. Dick Grayson is, and then she interrupts him. But, like, I love... He's going to bat for Dick. It's so cool. He's going to bat for Dick, and he... I don't know that he's able to show Dick that, you know, but he's able. He loves him. He loves him. He loves him like big brother. Like, it's so awesome.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. um, And I remember like, you know, Josh will be like, oh, fucking Dick Grayson as Batman was great. Jeff and you and I have talked about like our fondness and our nostalgia for those this run. And I were listening to the episode with Ryan, like he's like, oh, I love Dick Grayson, Batman, and Damian, Robin. Roman, I know you love it too. And it's like, well, like we all say that and love it, but this is a really short series. It's not much bigger than a maxi series. You know, it's not a full comic book run. And I think it's because Grant Morrison, in my opinion, in this run, does his best character work he's ever done. Like, there's constant growth and you're growing with these characters and while we're doing time travel stuff and we're learning about cryptic histories and we're worried about daddy bruce like we're seeing that dick grayson is perpetually being kind and considering other people's emotions actually mentoring and raising a child not just teaching him how to be a soldier but raising a little brother you know and like this kid who's designed to be a soldier slowly starting to learn empathy without noticing it (laughs) and <laughs> realizing he cares for people and dick grayson is doing that in a way that damian can't fully recognize yet but damian doesn't know how much he cares about everybody as and, much
0: as he does and you know to that point you, you just and damian doesn't realize it and i also think that like i think dick's goodness is has been such a guy we've mentioned you know several there's been two very clear times where justin and i for sure and i think roman to an extent like we don't like being told that we're wrong and we don't like being talked down to or we don't really like somebody being like hey here's a better way to do this so that there's been a couple times where like dick has foregone saying something like that and chosen to be more supportive and not say, hey, you did this wrong, but maybe say like, hey, here's a really good way to also do this. Just a different way of approaching things. I think that Dick also is slowly learning how important he is to Damien. And I don't think that he is immediately, you know, he immediately knew that. And I think that's as like indicated in this joke of like, well, that would mean we can't be Batman and Robin anymore. And Dick says, no, I guess not. It's a small price to pay for getting him back alive. And I can always go back to doing Nightwing stuff. And he said, Well, what will I do? Like, do you think father let me stay on his robin? He says, You honestly think he'd put up with you the way the way that I do, which is like a very brotherly ribbing thing. But like Justin and you and I, you know, it I'm sure I know we've both said things to each other at the time where totally unintentional, like off the cuff thing. But we'll spend like a couple days being like, Well, did that mean? Like, did I fuck up? Like, what was that? Like, and I just love how humanly written Dick is right there, because he doesn't really understand the importance of his role to this person. So for him to sort of make a joke thing, he doesn't realize that that actually really affects Damien and will cause him to have a sort of, you know, mental journey for a couple of issues here. And just like, wow, wow, good stuff. Yeah. yeah. I love that. The way written,
2: cause Dick is doing the job, you know, looking at the clues and deciphering stuff. But in the midst of that, he suddenly reali- realizes, Oh, That was kind of insensitive. And and I love that dot, 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 Damien, I'm joking.
1: Great. (laughs) And as he slowly realizes that, yeah, Damien really does care, but is, is being bothered by this. Yeah. He's not the optimum alpha male that Bruce Wayne is doing, but he's like efficient enough at doing the Batman job, but he also tends to other people's emotions. And like, that's something Bruce doesn't quite do. And to me, obviously, Dick Grayson is not the Batman, but I think he is something more than the Batman in this run as Batman, because he he tends to Alfred's emotions and Damien's emotions, and it it just gets me, you know.
0: We really need we really need to float this idea to DC executives or Grant Morrison <laughs> of like, can you please write some untold stories from the Dick Grayson, Damien, Batman and Robin era? Cause it is just too short-lived. You know you know as we've been talking about this i it, i've been
2: fantasizing in my head that somehow grant morrison somebody would bring This podcast to his attention and he'd listen and and it would and he'd be like you know I really want to go do some more Dick Grayson Batman (laughs) Damian Robin stories.
0: I appreciate that there are people leaving reviews and sending oh please everyone leave a review that would be awesome. But I love that you know we are getting emails from folks we don't know and listeners from different states. I don't know that Grant Morrison would be like these guys (laughs) know what's up you know. And then
2: eventually he'll do the series and then he'll guest star on the show.
0: Yeah. I think we might maybe be able to, with a lot of work, possibly get Cody Walker on. <laughs> oh,
1: <God.
0: laughs> Alright, Professor I Cody. That
2: episode. <laughs> um, can I, can so, I just say yeah, visually, something else I love about that same little conversation there and that panel? Um, and no pun intended, since Dick is pushing in a panel with the roses on it. Oh, um, uh. But I love that That. <laughs> thank you. That, um, <laughs> that That. panel there, because when you because we're looking past, past Dick at Damien. I love how Damien just got his arms crossed and he's, and he's facing the wall with his back to Dick, and he, and he and he says,
0: "You're not joking." Yeah, <laughs>
2: it's such a great, true moment.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm an adult Try. and I can get. <laughs> wholly distracted by my emotions to the point where I'm not even like physically mentally in a space that I'm sharing with someone. I'm like on my own head trip. (laughs) I think it's even more true of children. So yeah, like oh yeah, he's, and I love, you know, to further that point, he's like, we found a secret passage. Aren't you just a little bit excited? You're like, (laughs) Damien would normally be very excited by that. So it speaks to the importance of like this deep sense of inadequacy. And I had wanted to mention earlier that, um, When he they're talking about, do you really think my father's alive? Apart from some half-baked evidence dug up by a crazed Timothy Drake. How can anyone be sure he's gone back in time? I think that like even that line to me speaks like we're really at a point more where we're exploring Damien's sense of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. We did the thing where he's a little shit and he was so disrespectful to Tim, but now it's it really is like you know, the way that he talks about Tim is even slightly evolving, right? Like, it's not just this competitive, like, hatred. There is just this, like, kind of an inadequacy thing. And I, I really like that. There's just so much exploration of Damien's psychology here. And and I believe, Roman, you talked when we were talking about Professor Pig about how he's such a good... You know, we talked a lot about how these villains were good villains for Dick, but I, I think you had said that, like, Professor Pig is a great villain for Damien because he's got the wire mother and he's just like trying to seek the approval of the mother and mm-hmm. wants to be close and is hearing these voices. And that is really like this two page flashback of D- Damien talking to his mom when he says like, I never even saw you growing up. Like when we were formally introduced to my eighth birthday party, it was like meeting a movie star. So he's got this also this same thing, like the, the the role of mothers and, you know, inadequate children trying to seek the approval of the mother is like very salient in that pig debt dynamic, and then also right here as well. And I I can't help but wonder if there's more instances of it in the other arcs that have been explored so far in Batman and Robin.
2: I, I bet there I bet there is. I bet if we went back and and probably and I'm sure coming up in the
1: the future issues, yeah, there there there's got to be. Yeah, and you know, like pigs' whole thing is kind of this opiod mother right. thing gone crazy, and kind of a. Inferior order complex, and like his, he talks to his dead mom as this hollow, empty statue. And like Talia is this hollow, empty thing to Damien. He didn't even meet the real her, he only knew her by reputation. So she's kind of this like wiry, barbed tower of a human. Right. Being.
2: Yeah. yeah. And and pig, and pig, because he doesn't ever evolve emotionally or psychologically, he repeats that, uh, that cycle in his dollatrons, creating these wire children in
1: a way <laughs> yeah <laughs> that are he's off. kind of become his own weird twisted mother you yeah. should have a wash your own mudda. never wash yeah. your own mudda.
0: that's for uh, that's an andrew carlson shout out right there <laughs> um after they explore the uh the hidden tunnel and part of me was like if they really never had they never knew that this story like had <laughs> these secret halls <laughs> but then it speaks to that thing like just was talking about like you know the time travel nature of this like that place probably didn't exist yesterday you know like before bruce had gone back in time so i really do like that explanation but an important thing happens here is as they're exploring it they're walking across the floor there's a big rose with bat wings all these suits of armor have like emblems of roses on them it looks like or maybe that's just a red shield but damien seemingly unintentionally grabs a sword from one of the knights and wants to swing it at dick and does does so to like Kill Dick, it looks like, and removing that sword actually triggered a whole thing in the floor to open up, and Dick falls down, so he doesn't get attacked by Damien, but we learn that Talia seems to have done some work on his spine when she was doing some work on his spine, and now he's maybe got some uh some puppet some puppet attributes, and that cannot feel good as a child to a mother that you're not that close to, right. yeah that. Now, now she has some kind of hypnotic suggestion
1: thing going on. Oh right. poor like, kid. Your parents are already your like Freudian super ego, and now she like literalized that and put like a technological super ego into his head. Like I no, you listen to mommy, which is uh again back to the pig parallel. He walks around with like the voice of his abusive mother in his head all the time. Like, right. Damien has the literal control of his mom in his head. That poor kid. Yeah. if it wasn't for dick grayson he would turn out to be the most vicious serial killer there ever was because uh as we know um little baby boys do not like bad relationships with their mom it drives they, them a particular yeah. kind of crazy you should love, never wash
0: your own mudda. <laughs> i love when was that joker was that yeah okay yeah, I, own, um, I love when he, he falls down off. into this secret cave he just says to alfie alfie which i love that he calls him alfie uh something's up with Damien and like that's I just like I like even that respect it's not like it's not like fucking Damien I was wrong about him or like he's bad like he just like something's going on with him he's feeling inadequate we need to tend to his emotions is like what that statement to me mean like something's up with Damien doesn't feel as much to me like we gotta bust some crime something's wrong it's more like we gotta take care of this kid and I, I really like that and I just what? like
1: how he, you know, he's detectiving right there, too. Like, Damien's about to slice him, and he's like, hey, Alfred, there's this other thing going on, too. Like, he's observant.
0: Yeah. And
1: I, I don't know. I just like, yes, we need to tend to his motions, but maybe he does suspect that mom has some foul play. I think that Dick Grayson is a particularly good detective, and they're, just, they're showing that. Like, anyone yeah. who started as a kid, you know, he started at an early, earlier age than Batman. You would be inherently kind of a really good detective. He's been doing it his whole life. I did have a question. Yeah. Damien grabbing the sword to slice Dick triggers the thing that saves Dick. Did Bruce in time set up that booby trap to potentially save Dick Grayson from this attack that he foresaw happening? That's
0: a super, super cool idea. I guess the question for that becomes does, you know, yeah, I don't know. Because it is a little convenient, right? right. Um, that and it's, like, it's kind drawn. of funny.
1: Like they're talking about like we. There's got to be a trigger here, and then Damian's like, "Oh God, I've been brainwashed. I'm gonna do it." It's almost like physical comedy there. And then Dick Grayson goes, "Whoa!" Yeah. Down below. So it's like, is this causality of Bruce affecting time? Uh, kind of like Terrence McKenna, the mathem- uh, the mathematical attractor we, at the end of time. yeah. yeah. Like it it pulls its own creation into existence through time and so like bruce is setting up the domino effect that will bring him back through time and so like you need to have dick grayson survive in order for that to happen
0: i think Uh, that you know all of this means that we really can't assume that anything is just convenient right like we you know like we've got time travel causality stuff going on here so while some people might read that as like well that's convenient easy storytelling like oh a hidden area you know that they've never known about till now but I, you know I think that we've got now things being the present being altered by the past. Right
1: and this bar- Barbados thing <clears throat> never existed until Bruce just dis- creates yeah. it by encountering it and so um, yeah yeah I uh I wonder how much Bruce's influence is here and that's like deliberately written in that we're mistaking as just like plot mechanics.
0: And just the metaphor of like, everything is in the shadow of Bruce, you know, like everything yeah. is, it's, we're still, Roman, were you going to say something? Um, I i don't know what it was, but you're so damn cute. <laughs> you are, Professor Cutie. So Aww. in this room, which I would stare at this image all the time, just like, what clues are there? Like, you know, <laughs> Dick walks into this room and it's got a bat symbol on it but it's not just like a normal bat it's like yellow circle with a bat in front of it looks definitely modified or informed by um you know the awareness of the batman symbol but it's got barbados b a r b a t o s written in what looks like dripping possibly blood but some substance and then it has the word thomas written all over it um so Justin, you probably know a fair amount about Barbados. But just because just you are very informed about, you know, I, I guess I don't know what the, the Latin, the lesser key of Solomon, you, you, you know, I hear the word Solomon. and I assume Justin knows about it. But <laughs> in demonology, Barbados is an Earl and Duke of Hell, ruling 30 legions of demons and with four kings as his companions to command his legion. He can speak to animals, which I thought was really interesting tell the future, which is very interesting, and consulate friends and rulers. What's consulate? Like provide counsel for? I think so, yeah. And lead men to treasure hidden by the enchantment of magicians. Mm -hmm. So, aside from having the word bat in it, it also is, like, a lot of those things that are, you know, inherent to that character. Literally,
1: character. there's treasure hunting is what they're doing right
0: now. <laughs> yeah, and traveling through time and speaking with animals, like, right. you know, with our return of Bruce Wayne that's going to happen in the next issue. Yeah, there's there's an animal manifestation going on.
1: Batman and Robin, like, they literally dress up as kind of paragons that have an animal theme.
0: Yeah. You know. S- so another onion metaphor that you're just like (laughs) bam 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 like what was the night like where where he was just like oh god i've got where's my journal
1: i i honestly you know from from a someone who like i think that in some way this is a channeled text like there are too many coincidences within it that like you you get far up in that idea sphere ideas start to be their own they start to they have agency and they start to work through you and uh you know.
0: And if we can get real fucking lofty, I know Grant Morrison is a person who's done a lot of different ritual rituals or ceremonies to talk to different people that have died. John Lennon he's you know spoken to. He, he talks a lot about different people he's I bet that while he was writing this, he made some attempt to contact Bill Finger and Bill like Bob Kane and Bill Finger. You know, like I wouldn't yeah. be I mean, like for my if you know, out there meta you know, loving way of thinking about things and not ruling possibility out. Like if any Batman story in the last 50 years is going to be written by somebody who has a deep deference and respect for the original arbiters of Batman, like I imagine their their never-ending ideas would be happy to be encouraging, inspiring, and informing a dude who seems to have deep respect for them more than others. So that's like Justin and Jeff saying, Yeah. <laughs> there's probably some channeled text uh, divinity stuff happening in this run. Also, we just really like the run. So maybe you guys just think that we're (laughs) psychos and that's pretty good too.
2: No, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, I didn't even know until I, maybe I didn't know until you just read that, but I remember, Especially originally thinking Barbados, well, that's a great name, but you know, Morrison just made up a demon-sounding name with "bat" in the bat in the that's middle. That's what of it. I like, assume. Yeah, you know, it's like no, it's a real thing, right? It's... And just and Justin, I was going to ask you what, uh, like in the in that, bat cave below the bat cave, um, those candelabra. Are, I mean, are those just a random style candelabra, or is that specifically like a separa or something from Judaism?
1: I, you know, I don't know. I, I felt like they were their kembalabra is meant to look like a bat, was my reading of it.
0: Yeah, because oh. like the the, the the one in Judaism for like Hanukkah and stuff is, you know, nine or something, right. um, not, but there's oh, uh, okay. probably all sorts of different ones.
1: And then yeah. I think, oh, just the bat behind the the golden thing is obviously the bat signal
0: right
1: 100 um, yeah. it shines forever and well there's a solar theme going on too that bat the bat rises again above the sun and always comes up the bat always returns
0: hmm. and i uh, but in my interest or my curiosity here and i can't remember if it is answered well i mean it's definitely answered but like I, I remember really loving like okay is this where batman was back in time or is this where the satanic rituals happened because like the bat in front of the yellow sun feels like the bat symbol. So maybe it's where Bruce was hanging out or is this because of the Barbados and the Thomas and the really heinous murderous looking shit. Is this where all the horrible stuff happened? And I guess there are, it looks like there's lots of chairs. So it probably is where a cult was meeting. I think it's both like, yeah, or, think, ma-
1: or all the
2: above. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the cave
1: they said has list, lasted throughout, like it goes back to the paleolithic, the cave system right. below Gotham city. And so I think, by Bruce having his first time adventure there as Neolithic Bruce, seated, kind of made that a potent ritual space where things, there's like a spiritual gravity there. You know, like he did this and then his ancestors are always drawn here. And when you have yes. a bad, eventually some funky stuff's gonna happen when you have a bad seed in the family.
0: Hey, while Damien is talking to Talia, if we go back a couple pages, and Talia stands up at one point to approach him in the wheelchair, there is a symbol painted on the wall there, and it could just be like Asian iconography or something, but it also looks very similar to the Barbelith from Invisibles, if I'm going to pretend to be Cody Walker for a second, which is the sort of uh, thing hidden behind the sun to usher in evolution, but it's like one of the most, like I remember Grant Morrison speaking and somebody saying, like, if somebody was to get a tattoo of a thing from your comic, what would you think would be the most, like, distill your entire body of work down to a single image? And he was, like, the Barbalith, um, which I think is really interesting. Uh, yeah. Looks that, like it's hanging on her wall there.
1: The thing behind her is a serpent's head with a tongue. And it's the head of
0: what we... Is that, like, in her chair? Yeah. Oh, the chair. S- yeah, the symbol behind the chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: we know what that, oh, another word for a giant all-consuming serpent is, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, we sure do. We sure do. Um, um, oh, and then at the end... good! Yeah, Damien <laughs> runs out. He does seem to immediately know that his mom did something to him. He's like, what have you done to me? Um, and as he runs out to the gravestone that says Alan Wayne, he is grabbed, and it says, Shh, they're everywhere, and it's Oberon Sexton, uh, so awesome, is there to help Damien, because there's a whole bunch of murderers out around, Wayne Manor, and in Section, we know, has been thinking about Wayne Manor because, because, because.
1: right. and the fairy king fighting demons in the graveyard is also what that is, which, like I said, um, you know, the imposition of colonization, uh, Judeo-Christian mythos being brought into, like, pagan fairy lore. Like, that's, you know, the souls of the dead are being consumed by demons here in Bruce's graveyard is a pretty cool motif.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, why? Why is uh, Sweet Belial referred to as these two, like male and female twins, binary nature, and then the other guy is called Duke Zep-
1: Zepar? Who's Duke Zepar? Zepar is a, a demon from the Lamegatin.
0: Um I think. Is that? For, did those? A... I missed those references in here. Is that something you just know, the, Roman, or is that?
2: No, that that was the as Oberon's on the phone with El Penitente, those four assassins oh show up in the
0: hallway. okay okay and that's just their names okay yeah zephar. so they're just cranking out fiend names for all of these people probably
1: and they're all from the the lesser key so zephar is a duke um i forget his what the, like each duke rules over certain facets of reality and you petition them to you know just like barbados does communicates with animals and gives you these skills i forget what zephar does um in the next few issues, we meet Naborus, who's a really famous demon from the Key of Solomon that is the, they call him, he shows up like a dog, he rules over the dead, uh, he opens the gate to Hades, he, and you kind of see that, you know, historically he's that dog of hell, he's Cerberus, and his Naborus, and Cerberus are Interesting. a very similar name, and so you see Naborus is in the graveyard, being the guard dog of the dead, um, and so all these names are picking from the Key of Solomon, and he does a really good job of um, like incorporating their demonic offices as their like visual motif. Mm, so um, yeah, um, who's the main dude that talks a lot of shit? I think it's Zephar, and Zephar shows up as a bird, and he's got a black raven with him. Um, so Morrison, I really clearly love. informed, yeah, and just like I don't know, like we're in a world where animal archetypes are used as costumes so why not use these horrible devilish beasts from the key of Solomon as these kinds of criminals and uh he he's just he's really skilled at like you know drawing from things and making them work besides themselves you know it's not just like oh I'm gonna let you know that I like to read occult books it's like no they actually function (laughs) in the story
2: um yeah yeah I'm really curious the leader of those four we don't find out his name but I'm really curious because he's got Feathers all over his shoulders.
0: Yeah, Unless yeah, they, that guy introduces himself.
1: That guy, what? He eventually introduces. Oh, that might be Um Oh, okay.
0: Cause, well, he does say, Lord Zephar, the gutshot is thy own. And, but I mean, he could be speaking to himself in a sort of like, I have to make this decision. And oh, no, he's saying he's Okay. And uh, then, yeah. I thought he was talking to the guy in the red The red. Okay, shirt. I was just trying to make it fit with Zeppar being the bird attribute that Justin was talking about. So I twisted no. the language to be him.
1: And I know that um, Naborus also doesn't always show up as a dog, um, though he does a lot. Um, I uh, got pretty into studying like the pagan roots of a lot of those spirits mm-hmm. in that catalog, because a lot of them are just spirits from other mythologies that were colonized into the Judeo-Christian thing and told that they were demons. Um, and so, um, you know, they show up differently throughout time, but they they have kind of an internal logic. Um, and in the next issue, he refers to himself as a Marquis. And that's like a, a type of rank of demon in the Key of Solomon as well. So, wow, he's like a general who orders bad boys around. Guys are just what he's doing oh so cool
0: clearly i think listeners know that we are excited about this phase of the story considering how much we just (laughs) lovingly juiced out of it and i'm so 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 grateful to be talking to you both uh justin i love your knowledge of all of that stuff that i think will come back many many times over the next 12 issues um yeah, maybe there's just some divine Bill Finger, Bob Kane, influencing your reality so that you would make sure to know lots about that stuff. So we <laughs> yeah. could record this podcast one day and you would be the one who has, uh, so I won't have to go to Wikipedia to read summaries of different demons. Um, so... I think that kind of puts us an end here. You guys got an extra big sized one, you know, Yeah, to I'm sorry. follow back. Don't, not you, not your fault, not you. Um, <laughs> but flagellating but, all over the place. Yeah. I was, I almost had to pause to flagellate in the middle of all that. Oh yeah. I I'm uh,
1: flagellate when we get off of this
0: call. <laughs> yeah. Um, just going back to that, the hilarity of me trying to originally think that these were going to be 15 to 20 minute episodes at the beginning <laughs> of the first recording. Um, this one's going to be at least an hour and I love it and I hope that people dig that. I hope that they like listening to how excited we are. I hope that it does make everyone feel like they're hanging out in a comic shop again. You can get a hold of us by writing an email to Quarantine at gmail.com. I have one or two I want to get to tomorrow, well, Wednesday, but um, which we're not doing it today. Uh, because this is already too good and I don't want to cut anything out of it. So, (laughs) Roman, thank you. Justin, thank you. Thank Thank you, guys. And uh, I'm super, I cannot wait to read Return of Bruce Wayne because I've never read it a second time. Can't wait. And I know way more about DC lore, Grant Morrison's brain and uh, and, and everything, ugh, I guess, probably than I did <laughs> nine years ago. So uh, can't wait for that. So we'll see you all on Wednesday for Return of Bruce Wayne number one. On behalf of Roman and Justin, I am Jeff. We're Batman in quarantine and we are super excited to talk with all of you more in the near future. See you in a couple days. Have a good week, everyone. I know that that's not super easy to do. Yeah. Go out and do something nice for somebody today. Yeah, yeah, and may Bar- Barbatos be with you. Oh, uh... what?